Hello and welcome back to the Trick Play Podcast. I'm Simon Chuskovsky here with Caleb Peterson and shortly we will be breaking down all the sports related news, rumors and drama that you will want to hear about. This week we will be tackling all the biggest signings across the NBA as well as what the new in-season tournament will look like. Then we'll take a peek at what we expect from the post-Brady Buccaneers next season and why Debrinkit could be the exactly what the Red Wings need to get their young team over the hump. Caleb, are you ready to get into it? I absolutely am. Last week we talked a little bit about the NHL offseason. This week we're going to talk a bit about the NBA. We've already seen some really big signings, including some big names like Kyrie Irving, Draymond Green, Fred Van Vliet, guys like that of that caliber. Caleb, let's start at the top of the list that we have here with Kyrie Irving. What did you think of his sign? Um, I thought it was definitely interesting, uh, especially given the context that it comes around. Kyrie's been bouncing around the league for a while now. Uh kind of ring chasing couldn't get it done with the nets couldn't get it done um i really since he left cleveland with lebron um and it's interesting that he resigns with the mavericks especially how after how that season ended because he got traded to the mavericks in the middle of the season and they were doing good but as soon as when Kyrie got on the team they kind of nosedived and missed the playoffs and there was the whole debacle about where they had a chance to sneak into the play-in tournament at the end of the season, and Kyrie wasn't able, or um, they rested a bunch of players, and it was just a complete disaster. So it's really interesting that he's giving it another go, and it speaks to some sort of faith that the Kyrie and Luca pairing can work in Dallas, um, which I think, which I think, I don't know. It definitely has bad results so far, but I think it'd be giving up it up on it a little bit too early to say after two seasons that. Um, that pairing on the Mavericks can't work and that there isn't some sort of future uh, in Dallas for the both of them. Because I, I don't know if you would disagree, Simon, but I think Kyrie is probably the best player that Luka has played with up to this point in his career, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Probably the most skillful. That's definitely not an argument. He's... It's... It is interesting because that pairing is just so odd to me because anytime we we see two players pair up that they're both very ball dominant, they're not really catch and shoot guys, they're more like to bring the ball up, like to do their own thing. I always find that interesting because I don't there's not many examples of that working. One of the biggest examples that I always go back to whenever this kind of thing comes up is Dwayne Wade and LeBron. And there was a lot of hiccups with that early on the not many people talk about anymore. Obviously with, uh, especially in that first season losing, I believe that was in the first season they played together, losing in the finals with the Dallas Maver- to the Dallas Mavericks, who nobody expected them to lose to. It's just kind of a common theme of two ball-dominant guys. I mean, hey, hell, you want to you make a comparison? Kyrie's been in another one. Him and Harden. That was a big struggle, too. It's We've just seen those types of teams struggle. So, I'm personally, when I look at a team like that, I'm not too bought in, and I love Doncic as a player, but I'm just, I I struggle personally to really see, and obviously you spoke a little bit how it might be a little bit too early to say this, but I have a hard time saying that this is a smart move for the Mavericks. I maybe would have gone a different direction, but that's just me. What, you say you would have gone a different direction, what kind of players would you have rather had them sign than a Kyrie Irving though? I don't know if I can necessarily name names because I don't know the names for that, but uh, 
I think I'd rather try and surround him with a more defensive squad. Maybe some more, like, spot-up shooters, like I mentioned before. Like, maybe... Obviously, he already signed with the Lakers. I, This is me just throwing out a name, but I think an Austin Reeves-type guy. Just kind of like a... Not not a necessarily a large contract guy. Bring, bring him in another shooter. Just kind of, instead of paying another big ball-handling star, I think I would have just preferred to bring in a couple more smaller names to help Luka. I think because when I look at... Well, I've already spoken a bit about how I just disagree with that type of style, but that's, that, like I said, that's just me. We'll have to see how it works out for them. Obviously, I could be very wrong. I just think, I when I look at a team like that, I have a hard time seeing any success coming from it. Yeah, that, and it definitely makes sense. It's it's kind of the thing where you get big names together and you assume it'll work out just because they're such big stars, but at the same time, it doesn't always work in conjunction with each other, right? Um, like I'm yeah. thinking of everywhere Russell Westbrook went after the Thunder. Like that that's also uh him not being quite as good, but he can't play with other people, right? That's the issue. And I think we're seeing that a lot and kind of like the death of the big three era because the, the <laughs> it, True. Yeah, in in terms of like these super teams that have been constructed, I think the biggest blow to that was another like Kyrie led team with the Nets, right? Because they got Harden Kyrie and KD together as you talked about but it doesn't always work like that and we're seeing a move towards teams that play better together and like complement each other like especially look at the Nuggets obviously they have their big star um, in Jokic and to a lesser extent Jamal Murray but they complement each other well more as a team whereas there's like other more super team-esque like even looking at the Suns and looking at like KD and Booker and um, like our DeAndre Ayton in there and I feel like I'm, and Chris Paul obviously before he left um, like that team has a ton of names but it kind of fell victim to the teams who had a little bit more chemistry um, in cases like the Nuggets and, and even like the Heat is a good example of that too right they've got Jimmy Butler but past that it's a bunch of role players which we'll, we'll get to in a second obviously with a lot of them hitting free agency, but I think it's—I definitely think it's really interesting. And to kind of to kind of close out the, the the Kyrie talk with a the the hypothetical that I'd seen floated around, Simon, what would you have thought if instead of re-signing with the Mavericks, uh, I saw it floated that Kyrie was potentially wanting to sign in Phoenix with the Suns? What would you have thought if that oh, was I instead did hear about that. the direction they went? As in, like, what I would think of that Suns team? Is that yeah, the question you're yeah. asking? Yeah, oh yeah. I, well, you run into the same issue I have with this Mavericks team, where there's so many ball-dominant players on that squad that I just, I don't know, obviously that would have been pretty insane, and, I mean, that would have been an insane team. That's all I really have to say about it. I don't know how well, I can't speak to how well it would have worked, because I feel like that's just Brooklyn Nets too. You know what I mean? But it's even, just a but bunch even of stars more, teaming up even how more. Will they match. Like like think of, think about their their starting line their starting five would have been like K D, DeAndre Ayton, um, Kyrie, uh, Bradley Beal now, and who else am I forgetting? Devin Booker, right? Like, that's insane. That feels like an all star team. Yeah, but that's also three dominant guards. 
because D Book plays point guard at time, Bradley Beal plays point guard at time, and Kyrie's obviously a point guard, right? So that's the that's the hard thing, right? You can't slide. That's three guy. That's three point guards on the court at the same time. That's not a very tall lineup. That's another issue I kind of have with that. I feel like defensively, that's not that's not gonna. I don't know how well that's gonna work defensively. I I don't know. I obviously star studded. There's I'm not dissing any of the players person like uh, not personally. Individually, that's the word I'm looking for. I'm not dissing any of them like that, but I just don't I I don't think it would have worked very well. No, it's true. It's definitely it's de- I I do think it's definitely teams are starting to realize that too. Cuz it's it's yeah. the way that teams are built and the way we're seeing a little bit more parity introduced into the league. Um, we're definitely moving in that direction in terms of teams with less overall star power and instead building around one star. And even going back a little bit further to, like, the Bucks with Giannis. Like, Giannis is the big name, but then they've got people around him that are, like, slightly lesser. Like, they're nowhere near, like, superstar caliber, but they're just really good at one individual role. Like, Chris Middleton, who's someone who just re-signed with them, or, like, Drew Holiday. Like, those, those kind of players. Which I think is definitely an interesting an interesting way to go about it, and I think Dallas is kind of fighting against that a little bit in terms of bringing Kyrie back and trying to provide something for Luka to spark that team. Because finishing finishing 11th with a with Ky- a team with Kyrie and Luka on your team, like that's obviously not the result you're hoping for. So I, I assume they think that was just a fluke and that they can use this Kyrie signing to vault further up into the standings and hopefully make a deep playoff run. Um but if you want to end, end off the Kyrie discussion, Simon, we'll do the same thing we did last time. If you want to give a give a grade, uh, and I'll give that the contract details again, $126 million for three years. Hmm. That, I, I was just thinking that as well, right before you brought up the grades, that it it's a really hard contract to grade it's for bringing in a star player like that because... Obviously, like I said, I have my own issues with it, just because I don't. it's not how I would have done it. <laughs> Which, obviously, take that as you will. It's my own opinion. But I... I don't know. I I guess I'd give it... Hmm, I, you know what? Let's start controversial and low C+. Okay. I, I honestly don't think that's that controversial. Because I was going to go like a little bit higher and B-. Um, just because, like, I, I, it's obviously a lot of money, because it's Kyrie, um, but three years isn't the worst deal in the world, like, that, that's not gonna handicap you forever if it blows up in your face, and, like, it, there's still potential that it could work out, right? Like, obviously, like, we talked about chemistry isn't there, um, but... Chemistry can be built. It's true. And I think that's what we were lacking yeah. last year. Because I know, I think Kyrie and Luka, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a lot of injuries there to where they didn't actually play that many games together. So that could also be what they're banking on. So it's a, it's a, it's a, for me, it's a tentative B-. Um, I don't, yeah, that's fair. I don't, li- I don't like, love it, but I'm not going to, like, say it's one of the worst signings ever. Like, I mean, it could be, but. Oh, God. It could be. But I well, I I wouldn't say it's one of the worst signings yet either, like either for that. I definitely wouldn't wouldn't say that. Out of all the ones we have on the, this list, though, if I were to throw 
actually, you know what's funny? Never mind. I'm not gonna. I take back what I was gonna say. I just th- pretend I didn't say anything. I, th- I won't I th- say anything yet. I think we'll I, I think we'll I knew what it. you were gonna say, and maybe we could um, use that as a transition into our next contract, which I thought was a little bit of a weird one. Um, Fred Van Vliet from uh, obviously up north here in Canada to the Rockets, 130 yeah. million for three years. What are your thoughts on that, Simon? Well. It's definitely, this is another one that I kind of have issue with, just because the Rockets have a lot of young guys that they'll have to pay pretty soon, and I don't see Fred Van Vliet as a player of that caliber to be getting a contract like that, but obviously, a team like the Rockets, that's what they're going to have to pay to get a guy, even just like Fred Van Vliet, right? So that's, it's a tough situation, like, would I, again, would I have done it? No. I would not, I would have never paid Fred Van Vliet in my life that much money not even with a gun to my head. <laughs> but in it obviously it happened and uh, we'll have to see how it works out. Maybe Fred Van Vliet has a bit of a breakout year with a couple of young guys around him. We'll have to see, but I'm not a too big of a fan of it. I'm more interested what because obviously you're a Raptors fan. I'm curious what you think on it because you've watched Van Vliet a lot more than I have. Yeah, I I'd, I'd say I put an asterisk next to the Raptors fan logo. I'm like a like I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm a, I'll pay attention to them, um, but I'm really just waiting for the Supersonics to come back. That is that's where I stand. Oh, okay. but <laughs> ca- okay. casual Raptors fan as of now. Um, but I I don't know. It just doesn't. This this one is probably my. Eh, there's some bad contracts on here actually. Like this is something interesting True. that I find with the the NBA versus the NHL. The NHL is definitely more um, risk averse. I'd say. Where it was, it was all like you said it so many times uh, last podcast, where it's like low, low risk, high reward kind of thing, where it's like a, a player who has a lot of potential, you buy in low for a year, and then it has potential to pay off in spades. Like it's kind of the opposite of that, where it's like there's a player that's kind of a known commodity, but like has a little bit of potential to exceed, and then they just pour money into him. Like Fred Van Vliet is getting paid more than Kyrie, which is insane to me. Yeah. Um, I, Kyrie's getting older. Obviously, he's been in the league for a long time, but still, like, I never saw Fred Van Vliet as like a star because he's. I don't think he's not. I I, th- I don't think that's too big of a controversial take to say that Fred Van Vliet is not on the same level as Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. Um, I think it'd be a lot more controversial to say they are. Yeah, and. Like just just looking at team fit too, like Rockets, like Rockets are the Rockets are nowhere near. This is the move. This is the kind of move that I'd be more okay with if they're like close to contention, um, to where it's like the thing that's gonna push well, them over the hump. The hump you overspend a little bit on a guy that's not like superstar power, but can be like a really good supporting cast star kind of thing. But the Rockets are nowhere. You also near don't sign that. that guy to a three-year contract though. No, it's true. It's true. It's just a interesting fit, and it just feels like Rockets... It, it feels like the kind of thing where the Rockets management are, like, panicking and just trying to get back to some level of uh, success, no matter what it may be. It feels like uh, we need to make the playoffs because we haven't made the playoffs in so long. Push. Because um, it's been... Because I, I don't... I, I Again, like, my basketball knowledge is not as good as other sports, so I may be wrong, but I don't think they've made it since Harden left, right? Like... Um, nope, they haven't. That's right. So, and that was a while and they haven't ago. Been close. Harden's been on a few different teams since then, right? Like, 
it's a kind of thing where it feels like they're just pushing to make the playoffs no matter what, and that never goes well. Like, in any sport, I feel like. And it, it just feels like the kind of thing where they've got some young stars um, that I have promise. Um, but they're, they're just ham, like handcuffing themselves to these like giant contracts to players that they... That, like, come on, Rockets, just wait another free agency cycle for a player that's better that you could have given the same contract to once your young stars develop. Like, doesn't that make a lot more sense if you just wait this out? Yep, and I... Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you at all. That's like it's definitely it's just a weird contract as a whole. Like there's there's not a lot there that really explains their reason behind it. And I also wanted to point out you mentioned obviously them kind of buying a little bit too early. I another guy that they potentially there was rumors about I want to say maybe a month back was James Harden potentially coming back or that Houston wanted him back, which is just another another big name they're trying to bring in for probably even more money, right? Obviously, I think with these two big contracts they've already given out, we'll get into the second one later, it's pretty clear James Harden (laughs) ain't going anywhere near Houston. But, uh, it's just a weird contract as a whole. But, if you were to give a grade, what would you give? This is, this is tough. Um, I'm... Like, I don't like it at all. Um, I could be nicer to it, but I don't think I will. I'm going to give it, like, a D plus. <laughs> like, this feels bad. This feels like a move that's, like... It's... This combined with something else that maybe we, maybe we can... Tra- their other signing that maybe we can transition into next, because it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it, it feels sure. It feels like these two moves are ones that are going to handcuff their organization and just limit them in mediocrity for another like three to four years um so that's why I, like i feel pretty strongly it's like a d to a d plus it's not a it's not a great move it feels like uh rockets fans should be very disappointed and if they are i'm not uh, i understand yep and i think i'd probably meet you right there d plus d plus or maybe c minus i don't know if i'd go low enough to d just because i do while he is not deserving of that contract, in my opinion, I do think Fred Van Vliet is still a fairly skilled player, and the, despite it being a terrible contract money-wise, the Rockets did get themselves a skilled point guard for the next three years, which is, take that as you will. But, anyway, like you said, we can transition to the next guy, who is Dylan Brooks, who is certainly a controversial one, in my opinion. I don't know about you, Caleb. Yeah, this one I, I was I was tempted to give the Fred Van Vliet one lower, but I think this is worse. Um, like I don't I don't know why you would take a chance on Dylan Brooks, especially for the Rockets. Like, what is the point? Especially for that money. Why would you do it? Like, I, he was basically like forced out of Memphis. He like he was forced out of the league. Yeah. Because there was like, there was all there the, was rumors that he was gonna be playing in China. Yeah, next no, I was like, I was just gonna say if that. you if you had told me when he left Memphis that he'd be getting an eighty six million dollar contract, I <laughs> I would have told you. you'd... I, I don't know what I would have told you, frankly. It's bonkers. Like he's a he's like a it's, he's it's, a cancer to the team, and like I think he, he's good defensively, but how much is he really yeah. providing, and is it worth um, the like negative impact of it for that much money that's insane to me that's just an insane deal um 
I, I don't know. I just don't want, like, with all of his comments with um, LeBron that, like, totally sparked the Lakers and enabled them to upset the number two Grizzlies. Like, it, it just seems like he, he he's an instigator of the worst kind that can undermine an entire team and you're stuck now you're stuck with him for four years paying him an absurd, absurd amount of money it's just it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me i remember a few weeks ago i had a potential idea for uh one of our segments that we didn't end up doing was that he was asking for around 80 million and i brought it up so just that we could like laugh at it for five minutes but he got more than that like that's insane that's insane to me yep well, it's insane to you because it's insane to everybody. <laughs> it's a bonkers contract. I mean, there's not much else to say about it, really. I, I'm i struggling to come up with words to really add on to that because you hit it right on the nail there. Like, it's just, you overpaid for a guy that literally nobody wanted. You would have been, you're, you were competing with Shanghai. Why did you give him $80 million? Yeah. You know? Like, it's... It- like, this could it could have been a good contract on like a super buy low type deal. Like, I, I'm looking at some of these other one year type contract. Yeah, one year or even like, even if you do do longer term, just like I, I'm looking at uh, another contract we'll get into later, like Gabe Vincent to the Lakers, um, where he's like his his stock would be on the upswing, right? Because he was a like quality role player who played a big role in getting the Heat to the finals. You'd assume his services would be at a much higher demand. Thirty-three million for three years, like a little bit hefty for a player who's not as big of a star, but like still, signif- Like I think that's significantly better value than getting Dylan Brooks for eighty-six. No, no, but I'll, I'll give it a big fat F. I, I wanted to give out an F at some point during these free agency rankings. F. This can be my big F. Damn right. Damn right. Throw an F on the screen. Maybe don't. We'll see if I remember to do that. Throw an F on the screen. So obviously, it's safe to say neither of us are really big fans of Dylan Brooks's big contract. <laughs> Getting a big fat F right there. But uh, we'll move into Gabe Vincent, who you obviously already mentioned. And obviously, you you have to be pretty high on that contract with the way that you were speaking of. What, did, what do you think on that move for the Lakers? Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting one. Um, it's a kind of contract that I really like just in terms of where the Lakers are at right now uh, because obviously they only have like a year or so of LeBron left because as soon as basically seeming on kind of looking ahead of what LeBron's career trajectory is going to be it seems like he's going to play out his years in LA until Bronny gets into the league he'll play a year with his son whatever team that may be and then he'll retire that seems like Basically, like, I know there was some rumors about him retiring last year. I, I think he's so close to his son getting in the league. Like, that's going to happen. Um, so that's why I think this Gabe Vincent signing is a good deal. Because we're looking at the Lakers, and they've got about one year of LeBron left. And I think after LeBron leaves, their, that, their window of contention doesn't exactly slam shut. They still have Anthony Davis and good role players around them. But it's definitely going to be a lot more difficult for them to contend. They're already kind of like a little, like their run to the conference finals was a surprise. With the addition of Gabe Vincent, it's the perfect kind of middle ground deal to where it brings in support for LeBron um, and could provide the like one thing they need to get over the hump while also 
not handicapping them, like the Fred event or Dylan Brooks deals did. It's, yeah, for sure. I definitely kind of like the million is like not not too bad of a deal. And I know I was I, I was I I was just gonna get you to comment on the part Simon up Lakers fan. I don't know, do you like this deal in the same kind of way or is it more of a you're Sorry, you glitched out at the end there. What do you, what is what do you say? Um, just kind of looking at, uh, I was just going to say, like, as a Lakers yourself, do you like the, the deal in the same way to try and capitalize in the last few years of LeBron, or do you feel it's a little paying too much for a few good games in the playoffs? Well, I mean, I don't have an issue with paying a guy, a potential, obviously, role player, $11 million per year. That's pretty, that's not a new thing in the NBA, so... On that level, I, I don't have any issue with the money or the player itself. I think it's a great contract. I think it, any team that went to the conference, clearly when you do that, you already have the star power. You have all that. You're just looking for guys to surround those stars with. That's usually the issue there, right? So I think this is the type of move the Lakers should be making, and it's obviously why they did it. They already signed guys that, they, that were already part of that championship team, like Austin Reeves. And um, I think he's just a guy who's going to come in and fill that role. And I think he's going to do a great job doing it. For sure. It's, it's, it, what were they thinking? There's a clear line of logic there to where you understand the moves they're making to try to capitalize on that last year. And it's nothing you can have too much of a like. I like I can't say too much about it, just because it, it it's something that makes sense. That would be the biggest thing I'd say. But it makes sense. It's nothing mind blowing. It's nothing like terrible. It just makes sense. Yep, for sure. And I definitely agree with you. I think we should move on. I think uh, what what would you give your if you were to give it a grade? Say like a solid like B plus to A minus. Like it's a it's a perfectly perfectly good like i think it'll work out well for them um nothing outstanding like it's not gonna get like a a plus but it, it'll i think it'll work out and i think it was a smart look yep and i definitely agree with you i i'm gonna go a little higher actually you said uh, you don't think it's a straight up a i think it is i think for the type of player that the lakers were looking for and the type of contract they were probably trying to sign him to perfect i think so far this offseason the lakers have been killing it personally bringing in Austin Reeves on a manageable deal. Now we have Gabe Vincent coming back. I think we've definitely built up a roster that's going to be tough next year. I think they're going to be able to make a pretty good run at it. Like I said, when you make it to the conference final and you have the type of stars like Anthony Davis, LeBron James, you clearly have the star power. It's just bringing in more guys to surround those two big guys. I think that the big, I think that's going to be a, the, a big factor next year, bringing in guys like Gabe Vincent. So I'm a huge fan of it. I'd give it an A. That's gonna. I think that's my highest rating so far. And personally, out of all these, it's probably my favorite signing. So I don't have an issue with it. Let's move into another one that I personally have an issue with, but I'll let you say your piece on it first. Uh, Draymond Green back with the Warriors for $100 million 
for four years. Yeah, it's definitely... I'm... Okay, he's 33. That is, yeah, that's a lot of money to play an aging veteran. Like, it's... You wonder how much of... I, I find the whole off-season drama with, um, like, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, all that stuff. I think it's very interesting. Because you look back to a year ago, and Jordan Poole was the guy, right? Like, at least from how I saw people talking to him, like, the, the kind of, like, next big piece to continue the Warriors dynasty. Like, he was talked about in those kind of terms, and that's why he got paid so handsomely. But then there was the altercation in the off-season where he, like, Jordan Poole fought Draymond Green... And everything kind of falls apart. Obviously, the Warriors still make the playoffs. They still go decently far, beating a good Sacramento Kings team in the first round, which I don't know if you watched any of that, Simon, but that was an awesome series. Um, but it, it definitely is a little bit of a... You can see which side the team took on in that like kerfuffle. Jordan Poole shipped out to, I believe it was the Wizards, and Draymond getting a $25 million per year deal. Like, that... I'm, I don't know if I have as big of a deal with it as you might, Simon, but I, I do think it's a lot of money to pay someone who's 33 years old. Like, he's not the same level as he was before, and it, it, it's just a kind of obscenely large contract, and I wouldn't... I, I'm not going to say it's the worst thing ever. Like, it's, it's Draymond Green, like, he's still a good player. I understand to a degree why they would do it, it just feels a little bit weird that there's like that there must have been more going on than we thought because going with the veteran uh, over the young player as much as he did struggle in the playoffs and at the end of the season, it just feels like an interesting direction to go in. Yeah. And uh, like you said, I think I do have a little bit more to say on it. I don't disagree with anything you're saying though. I, they, I, I think there has to be something going on in the locker room that we're not hearing about, potentially with Jordan Poole. When I see something like this, maybe he was starting fights with more than just Draymond Green. You know what I mean? I Maybe he was kind of that more that guy. Maybe he... Obviously, when I look at a team like the Warriors and, and two guys, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, I actually think Draymond Green's role in that team is harder to replace than Jordan Poole's. So in that sense, it makes sense who they picked there just because of the fact, in every other sense, it doesn't. So I'm starting with why it does make sense. But in that sense, there's not really another guy in the league like Draymond Green. He's a defensive forward who can really play any position. He's a great playmaker, arguably the best playmaker on the Warriors. He's just such a hard guy to replace. Like, he's very, very good at those those certain things he's like he's your glue guy right and when you take away that glue guy it's just hard to replace but do you really want to play pay the glue guy a hundred million dollars especially an aging one at that like i feel like if i were the warriors i i would have rolled the dice on trying to replace him you know what i mean like there has to be a better option than paying draymond a hundred million and keeping him on the roster till i think you said he's 37 which, I mean, I obviously, maybe there's, like I said, maybe there's something more there. I think I would have picked Jordan Poole, but maybe they knew they were going to get, or I don't, you're going to have to correct me on this. I'm not sure if this was before or after the Chris Paul trade. I think the Chris Paul trade was first. 
So maybe that's yeah, why I'm they didn't. Sure. I maybe that's why. I don't know. I guess obviously yeah. Jordan Poole was in the Chris Paul trade, so. <laughs> but right, right, yeah. It, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where I, I I agree. Like it's he's a, he's a good player, and it's a, like he like you said he's the glue guy, and he'll be difficult to replace. But the point is, you're gonna have to replace him at some point, right? Yeah. You can't play forever, and I just don't see how there's a way you're gonna get value out of say the last two years of this deal when he's 36 and 37. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yep, and I totally agree with you. I do you want to give your rating first? Um, I'd probably go like a B minus. It, it, it's not. It's the kind of thing where I think the first two years of this, this deal they can get value out of it. Like I think it'll play out the latter years of where he's still like a, still playing to some level, of the standard that he set for himself earlier in his career. But it's those latter two years that that bring it down to a below average grade for me. But it, it's it's not something I like, hate with a vigor like I do the Fred VanVleet Dylan Brooks contract. It's just kind of the thing where I think it's just not smart. They'll get value out of it while they can. It's just not smart for the ma- the amount of money and the term. So like B minus, maybe down to a C plus if I'm feeling like, if if I'm feeling grumpy, but. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I'd go a little lower. I think, like I said, I think we've already established. I think I'm a little bit lower on this move than you are, but I, I'd say a D plus. I think I'd say a D plus. Ooh, wow! I wow, what did I say for Fred VanVleet? I, I think you said around the same thing. I think you said around the same thing. D okay. plus to D. You know what? I think I'd go even lower because I don't. I I like this. Mm, no C minus. I'm talking myself out of it. I I at least um at least Draymond Green already fills a role that's kind of hard to replace, like I mentioned. There's that's not there for Fred Van Vliet. Like we know what the Warriors are getting with Draymond Green versus with Fred Van Vliet, it just looks like you overplayed paid for a guy who I mean you didn't really need. So, yeah, I guess C minus, but mm, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That that's yeah. That that's fair. I don't know if I'd be that hard on it, but I think that's fair. And then, do you want to move into our last uh, free agent signing here? We're going uh, Bruce Bruce Brown from the NBA champion Denver Nuggets, heading over to the Pacers um, for a to the tune of forty five million over three years. What are your thoughts on that deal, Simon? Well, it's another uh, Gabe Vincent type move, I think, where it's a role player getting the money he deserves on a team that could potentially be looking at contending next year with Tyrese Halliburton and that entire Pacers roster. I don't really have any issue with it. It's obviously not a hefty deal, so it's not like $45 million, three years. That's a little bit more than, uh, or not a little bit, actually quite a bit more. But you know what I mean, $15 million. What? Or wait, one second, Simon, learn how to do math. Crap. Caleb, help. Is that 15? That's 15. 15. Yeah. yeah. I did math. I divided by Woo! 15. You got it. You got I got it. it. You got it. <laughs> I don't know why I doubted myself on that. But anyway, 15 million for a role player, I have no issue with that. That's the 11 million, 15 million, anything below 20. Actually, you know what? I'd set the line right there at 15 million. 15 million is as much as I'd want to pay for a good role player, in my opinion. And they hit that line right on the dot. 
if they have Bruce Brown in a role that he succeeds in and he actively helps the team a lot, perfect. Great deal, right? That's the thing. You just, as long as the Pacers make paying a guy like that worth it, I have no issue with it, right? If he sits on the 10th spot on their bench and doesn't play, then we'll have a different conversation next offseason. But I don't know. Right now, I have no issue with it. Yeah, and I, I don't I I think I have a little bit more issue with it than with the Gabe Vincent stuff. Like the Gabe Vincent just in terms of pure team fit. I, I, I think I like Bruce Brown a little bit better as a player, but in per, in terms of pure team fit, it makes a lot more sense for the Lakers to grab a guy like this than the Pacers do. Yep. Because the Lakers are obviously a lot closer to contention than the Pacers are. Like you said, they have the Halliburton, but I don't know what other piece, like major pieces they have there. Um because they're what what's their I'm looking at their record this year, they're 35 and 47. Is It feels like the time to build up a little bit more. Um, sure. And like Bruce Brown isn't going to like push you over the edge, which is what a player like Bruce Brown would ideally do in a move like this. But like in the end of the day, like I don't have too many issues with it. Um, because it is a three-year deal, um, I believe it's a three. Was it a three-year or a two-year yep. deal? Three-year. It was a three-year deal. It was a three-year deal. So, like, I, I feel like it's one of those deals, like, kind of the opposite of the Draymond contract. Well, I feel like you'll get more value out of it in the last couple of years just because of where the team might be a little bit further ahead um, if some of the young players can develop. Um, but it, it, it's definitely nothing I can, like, bad an eye at. Like, I think you're right. $15 million is the line for a role player like, like Bruce Brown. It's It's... It's nothing too offensive. For me, I'd give it like I, I'd give it a B. It, it sits right in the right in the average category. Gabe Vincent a little bit higher, just in terms of team fit. But I'd, I'd I'd place it right at average. It's nothing I have too much to to complain about or praise, really. Yeah, and I I have no issue with that because I I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said. I am gonna go higher because I am a little bit higher on it. I think just because I think at the end of the day, every team needs role players, right? I I don't I think when it comes to team fit I think that's less important for a deal like this it's just a good deal no matter what team would have gotten like getting Bruce Brown for 15 million on any of the 30 teams in the NBA I think I would still I I give that an A personally just because I think that's you're bringing in a guy who had a great playoff run he's young enough he's all these different things like he's He's just like, I don't know. I, I personally think when I look at a deal like this, that's solid. It's not going to, like you said, it's not going to bring you over the top. So maybe you could, obviously your argument that it's not enough for the Pacers. I don't disagree with that at all. I think they do need to do more if they want to get over that hump. But I think it is the type of deal that they, I don't think they're expecting that out of Bruce Brown. You know what I mean? I think this is for what they're paying him for the, and for the player they're getting. I have no issue with it. No, and, and I think that's fair. I, I I think that's a fair stance to have. Um, and in terms of uh, like looking at it relatively to the rest of these contracts, you could certainly do a lot worse. Well, I think it's average in terms of grade. I think it's better than most of these deals here. So I think everybody's favorite topic of the NFL offseason is always the stupid quotes we get. <laughs> I, I think that's a pretty safe bet because there's always... There's always one that, one or two that sneaks through that are just pretty pretty great, and uh, 
I think this might be one of my favorite we've seen so far. I know, Caleb, I think you probably feel the same on it. But uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers cornerback, Carlton Davis. I think, obviously, very, very good cornerback. He said this about just the Buccaneers as a whole and what everybody's been saying about them. Obviously, there's been a lot kind of around their quarterback battle they have going over there. We have our own segments uh, on that one. And uh, this is just what he had. I'll just quote it word for word on what he exactly said. But anybody who feels we've lost Tom and lost something is going to be in for a rude awakening. Tom was a great addition for us, but obviously it's a team sport. Obviously you need components to be successful. We still have those components, and I'm only getting better. And then he also said, and I quote, that the Buccaneers are going to, quote, wreck shit in 2023 by creating an abundance of turnovers. So, Caleb, I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think of this Buccaneers team? We already kind of spoke on it a little bit, but uh, as a, we kind of spoke more on the two quarterbacks, if we want to just move into overall team as a whole, what do you think of their squad? It's definitely interesting because, like, as, as I kind of talked about before, just to, like pulling up their their depth chart, it's a uh, it's an interesting team because they're not that far removed from contending, and it's uh, like Carlton Davis is as as dumb as the quote can be because, like, the Bucks e- even with Brady last year they went eight and nine, right? They're <laughs> lo- losing records still. And you lose the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, obviously, you're kind of expected to go even lower than that. I've seen like a lot of people, including including my, myself, at a certain point say like it could be in the Caleb Williams conversation. Like if you just put Kyle Trask in for a year, let the team flounder, and then let them rebound with Caleb Williams, that may be the plan. But at the same time, um, I think there may be something to what Carlton Davis is saying because they still have like. Some of the players. So just reading off reading off their death chart, uh, they still have Evans and Godwin, right? Like those are still blue chip receivers. They still have a solid offensive line. They got they have Tristan Wirfs. They have Brian Jensen at center. Like those are good pieces on the offensive line. And on defense, like this Bucks defense is like to Carlton Davis's credit, it's legit. Jamal Dean, Antoine Winfield in the backfield, Carlton Davis obviously, um, Ryan Neal who. Um, I, I, many people may not know, but Ryan Neal is an insanely underrated safety coming out of Seattle this last year. Um, speaking as a Seahawks fan, that team looked a lot different when Ryan Neal was filling in at safety after Jamal Adams got hurt versus when we had somebody else in there. So that's a good addition. And then they still have, I think, one of the best linebacker cores in the league with Devin White, Levante David, and Joe Tryon-Shoyinka, who they drafted a couple of years ago. And then you still have Vita Bay on the defensive line. Like, those are good pieces. <laughs> that is a hardcore and defense right there. It's a, it is a hardcore defense. Like, that defense is still going to be difficult to score on. Um, so, like, do I agree that they made wreck shit and in fact and cause a lot of turnovers like like i could see it i could see it yeah but are you gonna are you gonna score points are you gonna score points it, it's the quarterback is the entire that's why the bucks are such an enigma is because they have um they have complete uncertainty at quarterback and it leaves them in a bit of a rough spot yeah and i completely agree with you at the end of the day your team can be absolutely incredible but if you can't score you can't score right like like you mentioned, you ran through the depth chart. And, I mean, you look at that roster. They've got everything. 
right? They've got everything. If they bring, if Baker Mayfield can even, if he, if Baker Mayfield can throw like two touchdowns a game, you know what I mean? And their offense scores like an average, like by two touchdowns, just to be clear, I'm talking 15th ranked offense. You know what I mean? If they're, if Baker can lead this team to an average offense, this is a playoff team, right? I feel like that's not controversial in saying that. Like, it's just, that's all it takes. But the question is, can Baker do that? Or can Kyle Trask do that? I think I think it's not hard to say that Baker's probably going to be the one doing it. But if in either case, it's just, it's just tough. It's tough because that part of the game is just as important as the defense. And it doesn't matter how many killers you have back there. It, you're going to still struggle. If they, if you, it doesn't matter if you can hold the other team to 14 points. If you can't score 14 yourself, it's not going to matter. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing it's where I think the overall idea of the quote by Carlton Davis is solid in concept. (coughs) Football is a team sport. You need to have the entire team around you in order to play well. Look at, um, I don't know, I could give it a lot of examples of like teams not supporting their quarterbacks enough even even like like russell wilson in the seattle hey hey after the legion of boom was gone um it was russ out there by himself and he was able to win some games for them still but we were still like a mediocre first round exit kind of playoff team um or even like some other examples i can give like looking at uh looking at like the chargers with justin herbert like that team underperformed to like they made it to the playoffs but the way they got bounced like it's not just in herbert's fault it's the team around him so yes football is a team sport i agree carlton davis you've got that one right but at the same time there's a difference between quarterback and every other position just based on how yeah. important it is and if i and, and if i can quickly jump in like mm-hmm. it's also in the quote he says tom was a great addition for us but obviously it's a team sport and i think that that needs a bit more emphasis there because Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time, right? And you're calling him a great addition, right? I feel like that's, even calling him great is underselling it. You know what I mean? You lost the greatest quarterback that you will ever see. (laughs) Obviously, maybe not last season, but you know what I mean when I'm saying that, right? It's just, it feels like you're not acknowledging the fact that you lost the thing that one of the things that made the team so great and you're trying to replace him with somebody who is just not that <laughs> so and yeah. even like you take with the go you mentioned this obviously but with the with tom brady you went eight and nine are you telling me that you can do better than eight and nine with baker baker mayfield are we like I, when you tell me that i it just makes me wonder if we're talking about the same guy you know what I mean? It's true. You also have to, you do have to acknowledge that the Bucks. I, I believe they played through a lot of injuries last year, and that doesn't all necessarily rest on Tom Brady, right? It's not, if the Bucks do do better than 8 and 9, I'm not going to be like, Baker Mayfield is better than Tom Brady. There's a lot of other things. <laughs> but, uh, I like, might. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to crown Baker Mayfield the GOAT, just, just, just so you know. I'm, I'm higher on Baker than most, but I'm not going to do that. So you're saying like, that, top so. 10? Don't, don't don't. So you're saying no, no, top no, five? No, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. Like I'm. I'm it might like b- below or above Brett Favre? You think? 
Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a lot of career left, so anything <laughs> is possible, really. But I think it's a, I think it's a little bit doubtful at this point. Yeah. Uh, but do I think, do I think the Bucks have potential to have a better record than eight and nine this year with Baker Mayfield? Yeah. No, I do. Um, mostly because of the division they play. Football is not an equal sport. Football is not played, in the NFL especially, the playing field is not equal. There's a reason they do the schedule like they do, to where first-place teams play other first-place teams. It's to, like, dilute the... It's to promote parity, because certain teams have harder schedules than other teams. You only play 16 games. It's not like you're in hockey or baseball, where you play every team a certain amount of times, maybe play people in your division a little bit more, but it balances out because you're playing everybody. You only play 16, like not even 16, right? Because you play people in your division multiple times. You play maybe like, I think probably like 12, 13 different unique teams. Those teams that you play, especially those in your division, it changes... It changes your season in terms of, like, a, a one eight and nine season doesn't equal another eight and nine season. They they can be completely different based on what your schedule is, and that leads into my point. Like the NFC South, the Bucks won the NFC South at eight and nine. They were a playoff team with eight and nine. Who's to say that they can't do a similar thing this year just because of how bad the division is? Um, so. Is it is it possible that Baker Mayfield leads the Bucks to a better season than they did last year? Like I think it is. They have more injury luck. Their schedule is um, favorable with the division that they play in. Then I think it's possible. I don't know about you, Simon. You might be a little bit lower on Baker I, than I am. Yeah, I I think I am, but I wasn't gonna say that. I was actually gonna make the comment that uh, I was not thinking of schedules, and now that you brought that up, I'm kind of I see what you mean. I, I definitely, I kind of disagree with myself now because I, I still, I still have an issue. I still have a really hard time seeing them beating that record. Like, I don't see them making the playoffs, but at the same time, maybe I'm, what's that division look like again? That Saints, uh, Saints, Panthers, and why am I blanking? It's Saints, Panthers, Bucks, and shoot, Falcons. Um, okay. Well, which is which is a rough division. You yeah, tell me any yeah. of those teams. No, I don't disagree with right you. What did you say there? Like, like, can you tell me definitively? I, I like you could you could argue that these teams are better. Some of these teams are better than the Bucks. But can you tell me definitively that the Saints, Panthers, and Falcons are better than the Bucks right now? Uh, I mean, did you make an argument for any of those? That they're definitively better than Tampa is right now. Uh, I like Derek Carr more as a quarterback than I like Baker Mayfield. But do you like the rest of that Saints team more? Okay, well, if we're taking quarterback out of it, no. But I mean, just the fact that they even, have even even including, including quarterback, in including, it, including quarterback. quarterback in it, I think it's I think it's more even than you think. I do think it's even, but that's not, that's kind of my point. You can't say that. But do you think you can't? But in an even in a situation where both the teams are even, I feel like the better core, team with the better quarterback is probably going to win it. I think it's even. It's even when we take out when we include quarterback in the discussion. If we're taking out quarterback, I think the Bucks have a better roster significantly. Okay. Yeah. Like the Saints, the Saints, the Saints are, um, the Saints are in a bit of a rough patch because they have 
that they do not have a lot of pieces right now. Good, rec- um, they have a good receiving. Are they? Yeah. Do they? Do they? Michael Thomas, Name? Chris Olave, injured, injured. Michael Wait, really? Thomas, I, I, he's been injured for the past like two years. I know, I but isn't Michael like, Thomas coming back? I swear he's coming back. I think we've said that the last two years. If he comes back, if, <laughs> okay. if Michael Thomas comes back, I will. I, I don't know what I'll do. I'm not going to make some sort of. <laughs> I, I want you to know my. I perked up a little bit there. I was like, Let, "Let's hear it." <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to put myself in that in that big of a hole. Um, but like, I, I, I don't know. I can never count on Michael Thomas at this point. Um, Chris Olave, yeah, no, like, like I agree with that. But past Chris Olave, who do you have? Mm. Like, can you name me any other receivers on that Saints team? Even with Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas and Chris Olave, sure. Michael Thomas is so inconsistent, though, in terms of just being available that I'm not putting him up there um, as part of that receiver core yet until I see him play a couple games. Yeah, um, he, he played three games last year, but that's it. Other than that, he was out with injuries. Yeah. Like, um, like, it sounds, uh, Simon, how, how it sounds like they're optimistic in... that he'll be ready. Yeah, but that's what I've heard the last like couple of years. Okay. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's my my question would be, Simon, how confident are you if Michael Thomas is out in wide receiver two, uh, Rashid Shahid? <laughs> um, how confident am I in a receiver I've never heard of? That's a very good question. Yeah, I think go. I'm incredibly confident. Rashid. What, what was his name again? Sorry. Rashid Shahid. Rashid Shahid. That's a name. That's the that see that's the that's that is the a great with the name. Saint. I I love I love that name. It's, an, it's I, an old name. Caleb, too. you asked me how confident I am. He's gonna have a breakout year. Thousand receiving. You know, years. he's gonna go nuts. Know, it's, fifteen it's touchdowns, funny. fifteen tutties, <laughs> a thousand yards. Takes the Saints. They go however many in and you know like he's gonna be nuts. That's my prediction. You wouldn't you wouldn't make actually, a prediction on Michael Thomas. I got more favorite. balls than you, Rashid, Shahid. Breakout season. Okay. Put that uh, in. Honestly, put that on just, the yeah, list. I think, I think that's kind of fair. He's he's actually pretty good. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> he, he he kind of he he flashed in the last few games. But my my point is that like that's kind of the Saints' issue is that depth is suspect. Um, their offensive line is not like as good as it used to be. Um, just to, just because like a lot of in like Trevor Penning out for the entire year, like yeah. Cesar Ruiz has had injury issues. Everybody else is getting older, and that defense like some pieces, but they're it's just getting older. Um, and Carolina has the opposite issue where it's a really young team that I doubt anything is going to gel right away there. Um, the Falcons I think are just a complete mess. Um, <laughs> I don't think De- De- Desmond Ritter trusting Desmond Ritter as your starting QB might even be worse than trusting Baker Mayfield to be your starting QB. In my humble opinion, well, so, just to bring it back. Okay, I guess I don't know. Do I, not, haven't, do I haven't. I haven't watched that. I well, I guess I haven't watched enough Ritter to really I'm disagree. Higher on Baker than, well, I'm higher on Baker than most. But okay. I, I, I just don't think we, I, I just don't think I saw enough from Ritter at the end of the year. But I'd be more confident heading into a season to win now with Baker than I would with Ritter. Ritter could develop into something, but who knows? Anyway, my my point my point being with the box. Um, but going back to what this is all started with, uh, like I, I I think it's some there's some legitimate legitimacy to it. I think Carlton Davis, like as you said, undersold the impact of Tom Brady coming yeah. to this team. 
But at the same time, um, I don't think it's that far fetched to have a year where Tampa goes like ten and seven, nine and eight, and makes Carlton Davis look like a genius. Like I, I don't think that's that far fetched. And a world as random as the and as the NFL, where teams can rocket from bottom of the barrel to first. Um, like I, I don't think it's that absurd. But could I also see the Bucks, um, because of just terrible quarterback play, being in the conversation for Caleb Williams? I do. That is why they're 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 an enigma of a team. That's really all of it. That's really all it is. That's why you're going to see so many predictions flying back and forth about them. It's just because nobody really knows what they're going to be. Can I throw out one last thing, actually? Because I feel like this just is a thought that just crossed my mind just now, and I I want to throw it out there. How comparable do you think a team, a Baker Mayfield-led Tampa Bay team that we see right now, is to the Jameis Winston final year team that we saw Mm. that year? Because that's the thought that just kind of came across my head. I don't know if you have it on your head. I'm currently trying to figure out what their record was that year because I don't remember. But Yeah, I I wouldn't know either. I might be able to find it, but I... I don't believe it was good. I don't think it was bad either, though. Um, Because, yes, did Jameis Winston throw 30 interceptions? Yeah. But did he also throw 30 touchdowns? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. True. But I I do think Baker Mayfield led... 7-9. Okay. There you go. I, I, I think a Baker Mayfield... Like, talking to me right now, Again, it's an enigma of a team. They could go either way. I have a little bit more confidence in a Baker Mayfield-led Bucks team with this roster than I do the Jameis Winston-led Bucks team of the past because I just think the defense on the Baker-led team said like because Baker maybe not to the same extent where he's going to throw thirty interceptions, but has a lot of the same issues as Jameis does with turnovers. Um, like he's not a consistent quarterback. That's been his flaw. Um, but they. The Bucks now have a better defense to back that up with a lot of young pieces that they've got. Um, you can go through the, like, Jamel. Like, they wouldn't have had Jamel Dean. They wouldn't have had Anton Winfield. They wouldn't have had... True. I, I don't even... They might have had Vita, Vita Vea. You could correct me on that. Um, but they wouldn't mm. have had... Um, they wouldn't have had... Uh, I feel like uh, I feel like it would have been Rookie Vita Vea. Yeah. Not the game record that he is today. No. So that that's why I'd be a little bit more confident. Like, I, I think yeah. James would... Like, 2015 Jameis or whatever it is would have been a better quarterback. 2015. But uh, it was I have a little bit more but, confident in that team. Yeah. But, uh... I, the oh, fun, I actually agree with you. When he was drafted. Oh, yeah. But, uh... I, I, I actually agree with you. I, I, threw, I threw it out there because I wanted to hear what you thought on it. Because I think it's something that's worth... It's comparable. You know what I mean? But, uh... I, I do agree with you. I think that the defense kind of... The newer Tampa Bay defense kind of balances out... I think I have a bit more trust in Baker than I would have had in Winston. Maybe, probably. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a floor versus ceiling debate. Jameis yeah. has both a, a lower floor and higher ceiling. True, that is true. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's all that needs to be said on that. All right. Uh, so I figured as a new segment for our podcast, I'm a big CFL fan personally. I don't know if a lot of people out there are. Uh, if so, great, you're in the right place. Uh, if not, hopefully this is a good way to kind of get you in because, well, I am more of an NFL fan. CFL is a, also a great sport and a great way to keep your football mind occupied in the 
uh, kind of doldrums of the NFL season, like not a lot going on there. Um, so we've had a, a, a full slate of games as of right now. The Montreal-BC game like just ended, so we won't talk about that. But otherwise, we'll go through all the games, kind of say our thoughts on them, what happened. And we'll start it off with the Edmonton-Saskatchewan game. So in this game, the final score, Saskatchewan 12, Edmonton 11. And now this continues a long streak of losing for Edmonton's team, who is now 0-5 on the season, and I believe this moves Saskatchewan up to 2-3. and And the biggest part of this game at the end is uh, Edmonton actually has the lead for one of the first times in the season. They have a chance to win the game. They let Saskatchewan go down, score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion with a minute and four seconds left on the clock. And then after they score this touchdown, the game is tied. This is the rule in the CFL to where if on a kickoff the other team lets in a touchback, then the team who kicked the ball to them gets a single point. And this rule came into play at the end of the game here when Saskatchewan kicks the ball off to Edmonton. Edmonton's returner, obviously not knowing the rule, lets the ball roll into the end zone, conceding the single point that eventually loses Edmonton the game. Simon, what are your your thoughts on, on this loss for Edmonton in particular? And... Um, just 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 how poorly you have to be playing as a team to lose in that kind of a fashion. Yeah, it I think it's really one of those things where you're kind of looking at like a mid 2000s I'd compare it to mid 2000s Detroit Lions type thing where they obviously the run out of the back of the end zone. That's where my thought that's where my head goes, you know what I mean? It's the type of play where all of a sudden you're you're so, so bad that you're somehow finding way, new ways to lose football games. You know what I mean? Like, it's more impressive than anything, really. And I don't know. I Obviously, it's not good for the Elks. It's not good for the Elks fans. If I was an Elk fan, I would be wearing a paper bag over my head because <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. But, uh, yeah, I, you know... And when it comes for not knowing the rule, obviously you should know the own rules in your league. I hope that's not a controversial statement. I did want to ask you what your thoughts are as a CFL fan and somebody who actively watches the league. What are your thoughts on our, on that rule? And just as a whole, on the rule on the rule in general, I yeah. think it's a I think it's a great rule just because it makes it. Um, it makes the return game a little bit more interesting. In the NFL, one of the worst things with kickoffs is just how anticlimactic it is. Now, um, I'll, I'll plug a, I, I think I'll plug a John Boy's video about every podcast we do, but he has a video <laughs> called Kickoffs Are Stupid and Bad. And that's kind of my sentiment too. Like, it doesn't work as an entity in the NFL. But in the CFL, I think it works a little bit better just because there is that extra point you get if you can see the touchback. So you see almost no touchbacks in the CFL just because giving up that single point, um, the rouge, just as it's called, um, obviously you don't want to do that. Not just because of the worst case situation, like what happened to the Elks, but it, it one point can change the entire complexion of a football game, right? A yeah. seven point game to an eight point game is a much different uh, ball game, just in terms of the extra work you have to do to get the two point conversion. 
two-point conversion a lot less automatic than one point. So it just adds something that's a little bit more interesting, I feel. And it's, for me, like, I understand for a lot of, like, maybe, like, if we have American viewers out there who are more used to the NFL, it can feel a little bit like a gimmick, but I think it's, for me, it feels a little bit less like a gimmick because, like, I've watched it for a while, but it's also rooted in history because um, the CFL's been around even longer than the the, the NFL. Um so I I do think it's a I do think it's an interesting complexion to the game, but like if this were, if this were in the NFL we wouldn't be talking about a game ending this way. I think it just adds an extra layer of complexity that I think is is honestly pretty awesome. And like even like to add another story onto that, there's another game. If uh, I think this is from like the mid 2000s, if people want to look it up, I believe between Toronto and Montreal, where it also the Rouge single point rule also adds if. A team is down one point. They're kicking a field goal in the end of the game to try and tie to try and win the game. They also have the opportunity if the field goal misses and goes into the end zone. They tackle the other player in the end zone. They can get the single point, right? So there's a game Toronto Montreal in the early 2000s where Toronto misses the field goal and Montreal has to get the ball out of the end zone no matter what because if they get tackled in the end zone it's a tie game and they're going to overtime um and that is a whole another wild sequence that i could talk about for a while but if, if you can just go look it up um but yeah i, I think it is an, an awesome rule and i think it's especially works well like i'm a calgary stampeders fan classic rival of the the elks it works especially well in my benefit here to watch them lose in such a painful and humiliating way yep and uh yeah, for sure. I, I, I am curious, though, because when I think of the kind of rule that stops, you know, I'm trying to co- collect my thoughts quickly. When I think of that kind of rule, I almost feel like it, and this is why I want to, I'm basically asking if I'm talking out of my ass immediately by by saying this question. But I wonder if there's, it increases injuries. I wonder if there's, is there anything on that? Because I feel like that has to be a topic for increasing the amount of returns. You know what I mean? I'm curious what that looks like. Because obviously, the yeah. NFL, there's been talk about how abolishing kickoffs because of that reason. Because of injury fears. I'm just curious what you think on that. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely a conversation to be had. And that's the other side of the coin, right? Um, and it's it's something I can agree with. Um, that's part of why, like, I think the kickoff in general is a little bit, um, flawed as a system, something that, um, in that, that video that I mentioned that he, the John boys advocates for is that all the kickoffs are abolished entirely and replaced entirely by punts. Um, which I, because it has a lot less chance of injury because players are starting instead of running from opposite sides of the field at each other, they're running from the same, um, side to the other. Um, and to prevent me from talking out of my ass, I believe this, I don't know if the CFL does a similar thing where they start side by side. I, I, that's something, that's a whole nother, um, okay, well, either, it's all more research in my end, but, um, (laughs) either way, we've talked about this single game for a while now, so we, we should probably move on to the next one, but. Yeah, as a whole, just kind of like sum up my thoughts on the game. It's a, uh, it's looking, it's it's a it's a game that 
entirely encapsulates how the Elks have been playing these last few years. For anybody who doesn't know, they haven't won a game at home since 2019, <laughs> since before the pandemic. And they're they're in such a sorry state that this is how they're losing games now, and this is what it's come to, where they haven't won a single game of the entire year. And it's a sign for the team that they need to get their stuff together. Because if, if the season continues to play out like this, I don't see too much of a reason for fans to continue to attend their games. But, yeah, I'll move on to the next the next game, which is a little bit more of a... has a little bit more of a sad story. The uh, um, game between... Or, no, I'll move on. I'll move on before I get to that last game. I'll move on to the Stampeders Blue Runners game. This one I won't have as much to say on. Um, Winnipeg <laughs> wins by a score of 24-11. to 11. Calgary jumped out to a 10-1 to lead early on, uh, but weren't able to maintain that through the second half. I don't believe they scored any points in the second half um, against a tough Winnipeg team that's been in Grey Cup contention for the last three years. But, Simon, as a, as a Stamps fan, the loss obviously has to feel disappointing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, any loss is disappointing, especially when you start up with a lead like that. I I can't say I personally watched this game. I sadly missed it. But I can only imagine what it felt like watching it when you go up 10-1 on a team like Winnipeg, who has been one of the, it, I'd argue, probably one of the top two teams the last couple of years. And it's got to suck to lose that lead, right? That's, that's where my brain immediately goes. I don't know about you. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, like, my, my concern just goes to Calgary's offense. Um, Calgary, has, Calgary has had the same quarterback for a long time, Bo Levi Mitchell, um, and he's just been... Uh, I, I, don't, I think he was traded to Hamilton, um, and they brought brought a new quarterback who's been with them for the past few years, Jake Mayer, and he's started to struggle in these first few games. It's uh, definitely not a good sign when you can't muster up any points in the second half. Like, that's the biggest thing for me. I think it's a it's a game that, that my main points are it proves Winnipeg's beatable. Winnipeg in the past few years has been this, like, titan of a team that hasn't been able to be stopped by just about anybody. And now they've been playing some close games. They lost to BC, um, like, in quite a blowout. And they're playing Calgary close, at least in the first half. They're beatable, which I think is an, maybe reason for concern for Blue Bombers fans. And on the staff side, like, this offense needs to get better. Their defense has been playing pretty good for the start of the season. Like, I wasn't able to... I also wasn't able to catch this game, but I've watched, like, pretty much every other Stamps game. Um... The defense has been playing well, but it's the, the offense can't get anything going. And even not having watched this game, I can assume it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, and so I think those are my two main takeaways. It's just that if Calgary wants to, because they're 1-3 now, if Calgary wants to get into contention, make it into the playoffs, it's not a defensive issue, it's an offensive issue. Yep, and from the games I watched, I can definitely say the same thing. When I watch... The Stamps offense, they just kind of, they, obviously Mayer, you, you already touched on him, but when I've, the games I've seen, he's just struggled to really get a feel of the game early, which is always, obviously going up 10 points, I'm, I'm talk I, I can't talk on this game, so I'm, like I said, I didn't watch it, but from the games I've seen previously, it's just those struggles early that just lead into the rest of the game. I think, especially in a game like football, getting started like strong early it can be super super important i think that's something that mayor has just been struggling with he's been struggling to get that first drive and that first 
touchdown. You know what I mean? Like, because once you get that first one, it's just stacking on more and more, right? That's the way that I've always yeah. looked at it. And when you miss that first one a lot of the seasons, or a lot of the games, it's just tough to... It gets easier and easier to miss the next one and the next one and the next one, right? So, I don't know. I yeah, think uh, I it's think, just I about starting a little bit stronger, even though they went up 10-1. <laughs> yeah. Start, starting, a, starting a little bit stronger, but also just even when they do start stronger, it's consistency. Because you can get an opening drive touchdown and then just be, like, bone dry for the rest of the... <laughs> the yeah. Like, it, 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 that's what's been the issue that's played Calgary. And, again, there's not too much to talk about this game because it didn't end up being too close. Um, but, yeah, that, that would be my main takeaway from it. And then just to move into our last game of the weekend, Ticats Red Blacks. So the big takeaway from this game, uh, Ottawa Red Blacks... Uh, they lost lost the game, Hamilton uh, twenty one to Ottawa thirteen. Uh, the biggest story to come out of this game is a sad one with uh, Ottawa quarterback Jeremiah Masoli. Last year, at around this exact same time, um, almost exactly a year ago, July eighth, twenty twenty two, he went down on a terrible low on the legs hit from Saskatchewan line uh, lineman Garrett Marino. Um, who was suspended for the hit for, I believe, eight games. And Masoli tore his ACL and was out for the entire year. And he came back this game against Hamilton, but he only played a half until um, and a non-contact injury. He just was trying to run out of the pocket, and you could see something get tweaked in his knee again. And as he stood up, he wasn't able to put any pressure on it again. That is the big story for me. Um because Jeremiah Masoli, even if you haven't watched the CFL, you may remember him from his days in Oregon. Um, he is still one of the top quarterbacks in the CFL, and it just sucks to see him have such terrible injury luck because um, we've seen what he's capable of when he's fully healthy. He just hasn't gotten the chance to show that in so long, and so it's just it's just frankly awful to see him go down with a non-contact injury like that. Yeah, and those are always the worst in any sport. The ones where you just really have no idea what caused it. They're just heartbreaking to watch. Because you're watching a guy who 10 seconds before was ap- per- absolutely perfectly fine, nothing nothing wrong, kill- could have been killing it, and just out of nowhere it's gone, right? Those are always the toughest. And especially for a player, like you said, like that, seeing that kind of guy go down after, obviously it all started, I believe, like you said, by a dirty hit, like... It's just devastating, really. Just sucks. Yeah, especially with the timing of it. He didn't even get a full game to show any any sort of improvement from last year. He didn't even get a get a full half before he was injured again. Hopefully, we pray that the injury is bad. But from what it's looking, it's looked like it. He tweaked the same knee again, and it may be as bad as back to square one. Um, which is it, it's just truly heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to to move on to the the game a little bit, it was a, it it was once Masoli went down, the Red Blacks had to turn to I believe their fourth fourth string quarterback who would have been <laughs> that chart there, because they just had so many injuries to start the season. Um, Dustin Crum, who didn't play bad, but it was more of a story of turnovers, um, interception after interception for both teams. The score kind of seemed deadlocked for a while. Nobody was quite able to. Um, make any kind of progress with it um, until the the Red Blacks had one last drive 
and there was Dustin Crown made it all the way down the field and on the last play of the game um, there's no time left on the clock and he tried to to scramble run the ball in from 20 yards away and he ends up just a yard short tackled on the one yard line from a potentially game time score which again is is it's just a, an awful game for Ottawa in terms of bad news with the Masoli injury and just coming up one yard short of potentially tying the game. It's one of the one of the worst endings a football fan can experience in CFL or NFL. Yep, and I totally agree. I think it's just it's the type of game where the for the Red Blacks it really really sucks. But obviously for the Tiger Cats who we haven't really spoke on as much, it's a little bit of hope because obviously your starting quarterback and Bo Levi Mitchell went down. I believe. You're, I don't remember what week. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. Injured and sounds like he's going to be out for a bit. Obviously, getting a win without him, that's got to be big. You got to, as a Tiger Cats fan, you got to be loving to see that. A little bit of hope, but on the other side, Red Blacks probably just not too happy to see it. I can't imagine. Or that you know what? Way <laughs> that sounded way too casual. Bad game. <laughs> Bad day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the worst days in what's already been a very bad season for them. Yeah, for sure. A topic that we kind of touched on a little bit on our first podcast has finally come to fruition. After some rumors about Alex Dobrynkat moving around, uh, finally, like today, as of recording this podcast, uh, find out that he has been traded to Detroit from the Senators, where he immediately signed a four-year, $31.5 million contract. The return is uh, for Ottawa is Dominic Kubalik, defenseman Donovan Sabrango, and a conditional first-round draft pick and a 2024 fourth-round draft pick. Uh, definitely an interesting deal that I think is a little bit one-sided, but Simon, how about you? Um, I definitely don't hate it. I think there is definitely a winner here, and it's a pretty obvious one to me, and I... I have a funny feeling when you say one-sided, you're going to agree with me on this. But I also, I, I think it's Detroit. I think obviously they want it. They got their guy. But uh, I don't hate it for Ottawa, Ottawa either. They were kind of, I think their hand, they kind of, it's the situation where everybody knew that Debrinkit wanted out, right? And you got what you got, right? It feels like in these types of trades, the team that is trading away the star rarely wins it. You know what I mean? So it's not surprising to see Ottawa kind of lose this trade to me. But uh, I wouldn't be too mad with the return. It's not bad. Maybe could have gotten more, but whatever. And for Detroit, you're getting an absolutely sexy starting <laughs> or first line in Raymond Larkin and Debrinket. Holy crap. <laughs> that is nice. That team is going to be fun next year. Like, oh, I can't wait for that. And Debrinket in a Detroit jersey, that just like, that makes sense in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, like, it definitely does. And in terms of that starting lineup now being insane, like, this is what I wanted from Detroit all along. They, I I think I talked about this a little bit on the last podcast where we were talking about free agency and how I was, like, having a little bit less faith in Steve Eiserman as GM. Yeah. Where he made some, he made some sketchy moves, like the biggest one being signing JT Comfort to like a 5 by 5 That's insane. And that is still a bad deal. But this is the exact kind of move that Detroit needs to have them finally be a playoff team next year. This is the move that puts them over the top for me. Um, 
do I think they still need something in goal? Like, yeah, like they, they, they still have holes to fill. But it's the, this is the one, like, big star player that they need to add to this lineup that, um, that they've been looking for for a while. And he must have been sitting on this, right? Like, there's, they, they must have, like, been a little bit quieter in free agency just because they knew this was coming. Like, like I wouldn't be shocked about that. But even then, it's not that bad of a contract either. Like, seven seven point eight seven five million per year for Debrickett is a good is a good team friendly number. Um, so, like, I love this deal for Detroit. And in terms of Ottawa, like, yeah, I think they were a little bit handcuffed. Um, but I I feel like they still could have gotten more. It, it it just sucks how it's turned out for them because for this time last year. The, the Debrinka deal for them was kind of the same way we're looking at it for Detroit now, where it's a young team getting the superstar player to kind of put them over the hump and put them into playoff contention. Um, and it's just, it, I, for me, it's a shame that that didn't work out. And I think it leads to kind of an interesting Ottawa season coming up because Debrinka obviously adds a lot to your team. And I don't really know what they're going to look like without that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I... I... I agree with you on that standpoint. Ottawa is going to be a different team next year. I think that they still have the chance to be a contender because when you have the type of players they do have, you always have that shot, you know what I mean? And who knows? But uh, I did want to poke I did want to poke something you did say that I'm curious to, uh, to have your opinion on if we're going back over to Detroit. You said that uh, they kind of have a hole to fill in goal. And, why, and I'm looking at... Uh, Billy Huso. I don't. I feel bad because I don't remember how to pronounce his first name. I don't know if you know that one, but uh, I, I think I think you were. I think you is were it Billy? Right. Right. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah. he kind he had a down year. He had a down year, but the year before he had a pretty elite season. I'm curious if you think that he can have a bounce back year and what that would potentially mean for Detroit, because obviously you pointed that out to be one of their biggest holes. If that can be filled by a guy that's already was in net last year, could potentially have a bit more of a bounce back season after you know getting used to the city now he's no longer on a new team to start the year you know what i mean i'm curious what that's gonna mean for him and what that could mean for detroit so i'm curious what you think on that yeah i think it's definitely like what you're hoping for i think that's the ideal situation for irishman for for me it doesn't just he just doesn't seem like the kind of starting caliber goalie that's going to push you over the top um I think he could be. I, I think one of the biggest reasons why I'm so down on the Red Wings in goal is because I think Steve Eiserman like pulled it off perfectly with a move they made a couple years ago that's just completely forgotten. Um, do, does anyone remember that Alex Nedeljkovic went to the Red Wings? Yeah, that was an insane that. deal to me. That was like a that was oh, that yeah. felt like a steal, and then he fell off a cliff. Yep, I, I, I don't know. I'm just like, I think I'm still a little bit disappointed that that didn't work out because that just felt so perfect. That just felt like the biggest, like, like, because Iserman's kind of put on a different level from other GMs just in terms of how he built up the lightning from the ground and is kind of starting to do the same thing in Detroit. Like, a lot of his moves are um, very, like, savvy, and uh, including this to break it move. And I thought that, like, Nadalkovich deal was just, like, the pinnacle of that. Um, you got, you're getting a Calder Trophy finalist goalie, I believe. I yeah. Pretty sure he was not no, on the right. Calder. Yep. Um, and and then just have it like crumble apart of you. Like that's just so disappointing. That was the that was the piece. And Vill, like no no disrespect to Villa Huso. Um like he was a 
and I believe he was in St. Louis before that. Yep, he was. Um, maybe maybe he had a, don't quote me on that, but like, he, he, was, he the, was a good goalie. Yep. I, he had 40 starts, or yeah, 40 games played, had a 919 save percentage with two shutouts, 256 goals against. Not bad yeah, at all. He, he's a, that's he's pretty, a good damn, that's pretty a good darn goalie. solid, in my opinion. That's what I mean when I look at a guy who could potentially have a bounce-back season. Obviously, in his first game as the solo kind of starter in Detroit, or first game, Jesus, first season as the solo starter, little bit of nerves, new team, new role, you know what I mean? I When I look at that, I look at a guy who could potentially be settling in a little bit more. I think that he's definitely, that's definitely there. I've always kind of, I've always liked him, personally. I think he has some potential, there's some potential there, and I personally will be rooting for him to bounce back. But... Well, obviously, like you said, we'll have to see. I think it'll definitely be a big factor on how good they are next year. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely will. And like, I, I'd be hoping for a bounce back too, because if he can be the starter that they need, that's obviously the best, best possible case scenario for Detroit. And I don't think, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility because he, he is a good goalie. Like we've definitely, we've definitely seen that. It's just like. I don't know, they just had it. They had it right there, which is why I'm like, ah, like I, I just want something a little bit better just because they, they had it all figured out and it just all, like, fell to shit. And um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of, it, it's a tricky, uh, it's a the Detroit goaltending situation is a little bit tricky. I, I'd be perfectly okay with putting Kuso in goal and just waiting to see if he has a bounce back year. And if he doesn't, then um, you kind of have way options that that would be my my thing that other otherwise like this team is definitely built for success especially with lots of young forwards um pretty solid defense too and a lot yeah pretty solid defense, like Maurice Sider obviously yeah um like they're they're building an awesome young team which is part of why I love the Nadalkovich and goal so much because it fit that identity so well yeah. in terms of like this young stud goalie they could have I mean who knows like I I don't even know where Nadalkovich is now um I don't know I I'm I've, I've do you, do you want to look into that? I, I <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't know. It was so, it's so upsetting to me that he, he didn't uh, pan out. He is. A, I think he might still be in Detroit. Is no, he's in the he's in the Penguins. Hmm. That's interesting. Oh, good. That's interesting. Let's see some stats. Um. In... Well, he played in the AHL. Yeah. His last year with Detroit, he went So in 2021-2022, his first full season with Detroit, he had a 901 save percentage, four shutouts, went 20-24-9. Eh, not not great. Yeah. And then next season in Detroit, he in a, in 15 games had a 3.5 goals against Really not that much worse, but still bad, you know what I mean? Like, not obviously not an improvement, went down to the AHL. It was pretty okay. It might be, honestly, might be a little too early to give up on him. Yeah, but it, it's not It's not quite the, the same in terms of... Uh, oh, God, no. Just looking at it for Detroit. Like, like Pittsburgh... Eh? It feels like he's at the point where he's just bouncing around different teams. And just so well, I mean, you want to talk about the hopes, how high the hopes were when he first came into the league in his rookie year and 932 save percentage? Obviously only 23 games, but 
<laughs> how how often I do you see that? That's pretty comparable yeah, I, to like uh, I don't know if you remember the Hamburglar, Caleb, but uh, <laughs> I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah, that's really funny. Oh, that's, that's really funny that you say that. That's that's a throwback. one of my. You know what's funny? I actually uh, there's a while back when I was thinking of uh, doing another project, kind of like a video essay on the 2014-2015 Flames and that season as a whole, just because I love that season. Like, just it's just in my opinion from all the seasons I've watched. As a hockey fan, it's one of my favorites ever, just as a whole. Obviously, that Flames team was just kind of special, like the comeback that, Flames. That the comeback, comeback kid season? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was the comeback kid season. But it was also, like, he's just that one that one thing that I think of when I think of that season that makes it just... That's the that's the cherry on the top, you know what I mean? Oh, that was so fun. Yeah, I, it, I thought he was going to be so good after fun. that. <laughs> I did too. What I'm what I'm currently holding up to you can't see it, can't, uh, Simon. But what I'm currently holding up to the camera is what I thought would be worth good money after I pulled it out of the package. Do you have a Hamburglar rookie card? I do have a Hamburglar rookie card. That is awesome. And I and I I thought I was going to be rich. Like, <laughs> like I, I have a pretty big hockey card collector yeah. legacy to live up to because my dad has a Gretzky rookie card. What? And a Messier really? rookie card. Yeah. Holy. It's hung up in our it's hung up in our basement. He's has a he has original rookie cards for anybody who um any of the eighties Oilers that have had their numbers retired. Yeah, okay, so well remind me to break into Messier. your dad's house one of these days. But uh I, I I don't I don't know how good condition it would be. You'd probably oh, okay. still fetch a fair bit for it, but yeah. it's not. Well, personally, not, as somebody whose most expensive hockey card costs about forty bucks, which in my opinion isn't bad, <laughs> uh, out of condition Gretzky card, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> oh yeah, like if you if you if if our family ever needs money, my dad's got some insane oh, yeah. rookie cards. Not just in the Oilers, but I looking through some of his. Uh, old old albums he has some other like i i don't quite remember what the players were but there were hall of famers on other teams that he's gotten there i mean might have had like a pa- pavel bure rookie card and i was like ooh, like that's insane that is insane um, but i thought i thought i was continuing on that legacy with my andrew hammond rookie card but uh unfortunately i wasn't I, okay I don't, can, I we, can, can we can we can we go down an even deeper rabbit hole and try and figure out how much that'd be worth the Andrew Hammond rookie card. Have you ever have you ever actually checked? I have not because I assume it's not going to be worth very much. You don't think so? I don't think I'm going to get even like a dollar for it. You don't think so? No, no, no I don't think so. I feel like I, don't I, so. I, I I'm curious. I'm I'm checking right now because I went yeah, down. Yeah, the... I'm, I'm trying to pull it up. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Don't pull it up. Did you pull it up already? I did. Oh, damn. I was I was gonna try and make you guess, but. Yeah, forty bucks. About the same as mine. <laughs> forty bucks, however, 40 bucks. like I'm, I'm. Looking I wouldn't at sell the, it. For I'm 40 looking bucks. at the ones. I'm looking at the ones I have because I have the OPG one, and that is only going for like five bucks. Oh, are you serious? So, oh. Yeah. Oh, you have that one. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It, okay. It's, it's not. It's not the. I'll, I'll hold it up to the. Yeah, I, the camera again. Well, now not, I can see what it looks quite, like. Yeah. Here, do you want me to? Here, I can. I do you want to see? One second. I actually, I actually found it again for the first time today by coincidence. I'll go grab it. One second. Uh, yeah, no, like 
I'm. We could we could talk about like hockey cards and stuff forever, just about build space if you still find that. But I have. That that was a that was a big thing for me, and I've never got. And I'm sure I'm gonna piss off every hockey card collector that are gonna be like, "Don't take it out of the sleeve." But I'm never gonna sell this, so I don't really care. I have. No, I, I, I have a. It is a hockey card of. That like uh, it's a Wayne Gretzky point leader hockey card. So it's basically, the the season he or the game he broke the record. I think. Yeah. And it's worth about 40 bucks, I think. It is a pro set Wayne Gretzky point in your card. Last time I checked, it was 40 bucks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, I I was proud of it as a kid when I found out. Uh, Oh, hey, Simon. Here's here's another one that I just realized that I have. I'm going to hold it up for the camera right now. It's a. Not. I wouldn't say Flames legend, but uh, very good player for the Flames who's still on the team uh, rookie in 2008-9 can you, can you guess which player I have a rookie card for? Backlund? Yeah, it is Backlund I have a Michael Backlund rookie card That's, That's sick actually, actually yeah, yeah. I, I have a couple of rookie cards on here, I have uh... oh, get, hey okay, I have one not really a Flames legend not in any team legend, he's played we're going to he has played for the Rangers, the Oilers, the Flames, and the Kings. Not yet the Kings. <laughs> Do you have a guess? Rangers, Oilers. He went from the Oilers to the Flames? Mm, yes. Rangers, Oilers, Flames, and not okay. yet for the Kings? Like he also played for Minnesota. I forgot Minnesota. He, he oh. last, last year he played for Minnesota. Last year he played for Minnesota. He did. Is this Cam Talbot? It is Cam Talbot. I have a Cam Del- Talbot rookie card, and it oh, is worth cool. it cool. is worth nothing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these rookie cards, even if they are like somewhat notable players, are worth pretty much nothing. Yep. A card. This is. I'll pull out. This is probably the card that's worth the most. Is I have a car a Mark Giordano card that has been signed. That is probably my my most valuable card. I actually can't find yeah. the Wayne Gretzky point leader card now. Now the, I'm I'm just on a random site. I have no idea how good this. Uh, uh, yeah, but that probably would be worth actually something. <laughs> probably more than my Gretzky yeah. card. Yeah, no, the, the fact that I got I was able to get it signed, and that one was not. It didn't. It wasn't one of the ones that like Kane signed. I have another one for the Flames. I don't know if you remember Akeem Aliu. I don't want to mispronounce his name. Um, but uh, I have a card that was signed by him as well. That one just like came pre-signed when I opened the pack. The the Mark Giordano one that was. Uh, I'll pull up the Alu one. Oh, show actually, Caleb, I have a story that's gonna make you cry. So Ooh, yes, uh, it probably wouldn't be worth much because obviously I pulled it as a kid, did not know the value of it, and I, I, I honestly don't know when I lost it. I obviously lost it after I realized how much it was valued. Or how much it probably was valued. I haven't even... One second. I'm going to find out how much it was worth. So just give me a second. Because I have a feeling it'll be worth a lot. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) So, not that bad, though. It's not like I lost thousands of dollars. But, um... It's... 
Oh, that is the exact card. How much is that one worth? Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, never mind. I didn't lose that. Nothing crazy. More than the Gretzky card. Not more than the Gretzky card. But when I was a kid, I used to think it was cool because it had something that I could touch in it, right? Like it had like a jersey in it. Oh, oh, one of the jersey cards. It was a jersey card. Yeah. And obviously, I did not know what that was as a kid. <laughs> I just thought, ooh, cool thing, right? On, It depends which one you have. Obviously, because it depends on the jersey. Yeah. But the one that I have on here, I think it's the $60 one. Because I had the sideways card. Which player did you have? Oh, did I not see the player? Nicholas Lidstrom. Lidstrom? Lidstrom. You had a Lidstrom jersey card. I did, and I I have no idea what happened to it. My God. My God. I know. Oh. Oh, that's pretty... Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. That's yeah. rough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, actually, I, I, have... I have the... You want to see them? Oh, actually, maybe I won't show this. This will dox me. I lied. I don't want to show anything. <laughs> yeah, don't I also don't want to... I also I... don't want to do the editing that it would probably require... Oh? Mm, never mind. It's not worth it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Pro- okay, probably not worth it. Though. But I, I also have a similar card. Um, for a player who was pretty, I don't know, he wasn't Lidstrom level, but he was very good on the Sharks, if you could guess who that would be. It was, this card Choo-choo. was, no, 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 better than that. Uh, 2008, 2009 to 10. He apparently was the captain of the Sharks at this time. Has Patrick Marlowe? The Leafs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a pa- Patrick, Patrick Marlowe jersey swatch card. I don't know how much that was worth, but I remember being excited to pull that one. That was my first first jersey swatch card those ones are those are so cool they are yeah they are that's the only one i've ever gotten because uh i only i only really i I never really collected cards like i when i got them i got them you know what i mean but i never like i had a small collection but the coolest one to me was always that that gretzky card for some reason even as a kid i knew i didn't want to like i didn't want to damage it just it's actually in pretty good shape but um i i didn't want to damage it because it was just a Gretzky card, and that idea to me was super cool that I had a Gretzky card, even though there's probably gazillions of Gretzky cards out there. But like when I found out it was worth forty bucks, I was kind of like, "Oh, cool! <laughs> That's a card that not everyone has." I also yeah, have. I, I think is this a another? This is a guy that you would not be able to guess because this is even. Is this a rookie card technically? This is. Although I don't even know if he's still in the league, I'm gonna. Do you do you remember Richard Panic? I do. Is he still in the like league? I feel like he must be. He must be. Yeah, because I have a Richard Panic rookie card. Is he still in the league? Okay. Washington. Okay, that's good. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty that's good card to pull. I think this is a rookie card. Twenty twelve. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Rookie card. Not bad. Those are the two rookie cards I have. A Cam Talbot and Richard Panic. Absolutely elite uh, card collector right here. That that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm looking through. I'm looking through my my dad's collection because I know he's got some. He's got some. Like I because I know you said you weren't too um, too into it, but uh, my dad has a very impressive 
a collection, uh, obviously, as indicated by the fact that he owns a Gretzky rookie card. True. Um, <laughs> but that, that that was kind of the standard I had to live up to as a, as a kid. So I, I, I'm an Esther Pretty Pink collection. I've got four, four binders of my own, and I've got over 2,000. Um, so that was, it, it's such a fun hobby. Um, I, I, I need to find this. I don't remember. He's got these old... Um, these ones are from like the seventies. It's always cool to look back in these for me because you can see um like he has a section for the Hartford Whalers and uh the, the, he has a card here. I'll try not to damage it as I pull it out. I feel very bad if I damage these cards. Um it's a Lanny McDonald card for the Flames, but he was just traded to the Flames, so he's Ooh. still in a Colorado Rockies jersey. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his hit the stats on the back of the card just show seasons for the Maple Leafs and Rockies. Um, that is cool. He's got a to- Tony Esposito for the Blackhawks, like some old older like hockey legends. Like showing showing all these to the camera. It's it's cool stuff. Um, oh oh Simon, this is a card you might like to. That I'll maybe I'll maybe try to stop the fall down the rabbit hole after this. But uh, this is this is. Pretty- this but, is potentially one of the coolest cards um, I think my dad has. He's got a lot of rookies. He's got the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. He's got some cool stuff. Um, this player, he is on the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can... There's... <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll read the back of this card. See if you can guess who this player is. Okay. This is a card from 1981 to 82. Um, so he was on the Blackhawks in 81 to 82. Yeah, he, okay. I think he was drafted by the Blackhawks in 79-80. He's played two seasons in the NHL at this point. Okay. Um, with one brother on the Blues, one on the Islanders, and two in the Juniors, Blank is a member of hockey's largest family. He joined the Black Yawks. There's a typo on this that says Black Yawks, which I think is really funny. Um, in 79-80 and proved during the playoffs that he's a winner. Do you know who this player is? Oh, Daryl Sutter. It is Daryl Sutter. My I had to think a about Darryl it. Sutter yeah. card from his third year on the Black That Box, is cool. Which I, I think is very funny and very cool. <laughs> yeah, I would. I didn't. I was all over the place there. I was thinking like Hulls. But uh, yeah, no. Then I then I got down that rabbit hole of just brothers. Yeah, that, I forgot that Sutter even played in the NHL. That's so weird. I know, right? It's funny. I will go through some of my dad's old collection, and you'll see, I'll see more, just as many like coaches and executives that I know. Oh yeah. Um, because like, look, there's a you know Jim Rutherford with the Penguins. Yeah. There's a there's a my dad has a Jim Rutherford card when he was a goalie with the Red Wings in 1975. It's stuff like that. Do you want to hear like, a guy that you would not think like a executive, you would not think was a player? Let's hear it. Steve Weiserman. Would never have known. Whoa! Would have, would have <laughs> never guessed. Would have never guessed. Would have never guessed. And to bring it back to Detroit to stop the. <laughs> So overall, based on everything, based on everything we brought up in the last twenty six minutes, what is your thought on the Debrinket trade? Debrinket trade. Uh, oh, yeah, to, to finally bring it back. Yeah. Um, awesome trade for Detroit. Uh, <laughs> this is like exactly what they need. Um, I'm wishing Ottawa could have got more. Obviously, the hand, handcuffed a little bit, but um, 
it's exactly the kind of move that I was looking for Detroit to make, and it kind of restores my faith in former executive uh, or former player Steve Eiserman. Um I think he was a okay. little bit. I think it was okay. Yeah, he, he was. He, he he played pretty decently, right? He had a couple good seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, it restores my faith in him as an executive a little bit after like a couple sketchy moves. Um, but overall, <laughs> yeah. I think it's. I think it was. A, I think it was a good move that makes Detroit a potential playoff contender and this year and hopefully the years ahead. Yep, for sure. For Detroit, this is an A-plus for me, for sure. If we were to be giving it grades, I think this is exactly what they needed. They brought in another guy to just elevate their already pretty great young team, and it's not like they had to bring in an older guy to do it. You brought in a guy who's still young, still has quite a bit of upside that he hasn't hit yet, despite being a 70-point scorer last year, I think. Anyway... Solid move. I don't hate it on Ottawa's side either. It's as much as I think they could have gotten. Not bad. So, as a whole, Andrew Hammond is the GOAT. And uh, yada, yada, yada. Thank you so much for watching. If you made it all the way to the end, it means so much. And uh, make sure to check it out on all the platforms. And check me and Caleb out on the links that are in the description. I believe we have both our Instagrams and uh, my Twitter. I don't think Caleb uses Twitter, but either way, make sure to check us both out. And uh, make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever the hell it is and whatever platform you're on. There's too many words to even possibly know, so I'm not going to try. Just make sure to do it so that you can... So that you see the next episode when it comes out. I'm tired. We've been recording for a while. And... uh, Anyway, um, yeah, thanks for making it to the end one more time, and see you around.